Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Joe Matarese. We would go into the parking lot, we would have sex, and then we would come back in after having sex, and we would dance, you know? That's how long ago it was. We would dance, you know? <laughs> that and more. But before that... I have to give a little shout out to our latest Patreon member, and that is Scott Shaw. We give a little shout out to anyone when they give $25 or more per month. And you know what the latest, the latest perk is for becoming a member of ours over at patreon.com slash risk? If you do, you will get free tickets to every Risk live stream. We did our very first live streamed show last Thursday. We are so happy with how it went, and we're planning to do many more now. So if you become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash risk, you'll have a free ticket to every live stream we do from here on out. In fact, this entire episode that you are about to hear is an example of what you've been missing out on so far if you have yet to become a member at Patreon because this episode is going to feature four stories that were previously bonus stories on Patreon. We put up one bonus story every week on Patreon, and this week we decided to share a few of them with you. I mean, there's over 100 there now, so we thought, yeah, let's show you a little bit of what you've been missing out on. To answer your question, I did lose my virginity in my mid-20s. Thank you. And I know a lot of you did, too, or some of you. Somebody clapped. Um... <laughs> we always say that risk is all about human connection. It's all about people getting real and not being afraid to look at some of the harsh realities sometimes. And it's all about stories of transcendence, people finding the wherewithal to overcome and persevere. And so if you believe in what we do with the show, please help us out. You know, we've got a staff of 20 people doing various things. We're really in uncharted territory now. We're hoping that all of this work we've been scrambling to do for the past couple of weeks in order to shift our operations and, and try new things in order to adapt here is going to work out. You know, we plan to do lots of these live streams of shows now, and we hope to do lots of uh, Zoom workshops, you know, storytelling workshops. And, you know, we, we're just dead set determined to dig in and, and, and work harder than ever before to keep this thing afloat. And we deeply, deeply appreciate your helping out on that end. If you become a member at patreon.com slash risk, there's also the check-ins that I do, interviews with the staff and storytellers. There's all kinds of things to get there, and you'll know that you're contributing to this remarkable library that we're creating here of people sharing their most intimate, most honest most heartfelt experiences from their lives. We feel like we all need it more than ever. 
and you can help us keep it all going. If you go to patreon.com slash risk and become a member today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. Time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and oh my gosh, I forget who this is behind me now. Natalie McMaster is who it is behind me now. Folks, this is a very special episode this week. We are going through an extraordinary experience. All of us, all of us, everyone here at risk, everyone out there listening, we are all in this boat together. And uh, I'll tell you, we were so, so moved with how beautifully things went for our very first risk live show done as an online live stream last Thursday night. It was supposed to be the night for our monthly show that we do at Caveat in New York City. We had the show all cast, we were workshopping the stories, and then we realized, holy shit, we're, we're, we're not going to be able to do this at Caveat. But we were able to do it via Zoom for hundreds of you 
And your energy and your love and your support through it all was just so inspiring that now we are absolutely determined to do a lot more of these. In fact, we're interested to see if maybe we could do one for the Europe time zone, maybe one for the um, Asia and uh, um, uh, what's the name of that place? (laughs) With Sydney, Australia. That place with Sydney in it. Oh my God. I, I must admit, I've been smoking a lot of pot to deal somewhat in the past uh, however many days. Um, but yes, we are planning on doing more for, of course, you know, time zones in the United States as well. So please stay tuned. If you are a Patreon member, you will have access to last Thursday's, the recording of last Thursday's event. If you were there, if you did see the live stream and you have any suggestions for how we might improve or other things we might try, you can always reach me at kevin at show.com. Now, you also have over 100 bonus stories now over at patreon.com slash risk. Uh, we, we are going to feature today on this episode four Four stories that were previously only available if you were a patron. Four stories that were previously bonus stories over on Patreon, but that now we're giving you a taste. We want to let you see what you've been missing out on if you're not one, a member. (laughs) Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Karen Maruyama, who you can find on Twitter at Karen Maruyama. She first shared her story in Los Angeles several months back. And before that, we're going to hear from Chris Garcia, who shared this story the last time that Risk was in San Francisco. Chris is the host of the WNYC podcast Scattered, which Time Magazine called one of the 10 best podcasts of 2019. Here he is now with a story we call the champ. My story takes place in 2008, and I was living here in the city. I had been dating this woman for about a year and a half, and I could tell that things were, like, you know that feeling when you're about to get dumped? You, you just kind of see, like, things are not going right. There were signs that we were going to break up. Uh, she became very detached. Uh, she became very cranky, or we'd fight all the time. Also, I looked at her phone while she was in the shower, and she told her best friend that I had been gaining weight, and then I looked like a fat Peter Dinklage, and she didn't want to fuck me anymore. Peter Dinklage is a handsome man, but fat dink is not what I'm going for. I really, I thought, I was like, I really like her. I need to do something about this. I need to do something fast. So I'm like, okay, crash diet. I try the Master Cleanse. I don't know if you're familiar with the Master Cleanse. Uh, for 10 days, you just drink lemonade with cayenne pepper and maple syrup in it. And every morning, you chug salt water and you diarrhea the weight away. 
I lost the weight and I lost friends because I blew up their bathrooms. And I gained the weight right back. It's a crash diet. And one day while I was sitting on the toilet, I was looking at the SF Weekly. I don't know if it's still around, but I was just looking at the SF Weekly and there was an ad for an eight-week boxing boot camp at Third Street Gym. It was eight weeks, five days a week, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. The guy in the photograph for the ad was ripped. I was like, I'm going to do that. (laughs) So I sign up. I go to the dog patch every morning at 6 a.m. And the instructors were these, like, these Irish golden glove boxers, like fresh off the boat Irish. These are like some, like, they spoke like, their accents were like, what's going on? It sounded like somebody was choking out Bono. Like, it, like a brogue. They looked like the Fighting Irish logo. They were like these badass Irish dudes, and I was into it. I was totally into it. I learned how to jump rope. I was learning how to box, and I was learning combinations. I was getting really into it. Doing push-ups. If you were late for class at the end of the week, you'd have to jump into the bay. Yeah, it was wild. And so I would jump into the bay in January, and I'd come out and be like, it was worth it! Like, I was in a crazy mind state, because I was so desperate to lose this weight, to get this woman back. I'm in this boxing class. I am enjoying it. She leaves her laptop open at my apartment. I look at her G-chat. She tells her friend she wants to fuck a DJ. This particular DJ. She's like, I have a huge crush on this DJ. I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, go fuck a DJ. Enjoy the bed bugs and paying for his cricket wireless. I don't give a shit. Alright. I look him up, he's fucking beautiful. He is a beautiful man. He looks like Persian common. Common the rapper. He has a beautiful bald head. He's got perfectly sculpted eyebrows. His eyebrows look like they're part of his beard. Imagine a Persian common, just like a beautiful dark man smoking hookah. He was sexy. And it was killing me. I am not proud of this. But I went on the internet and I printed a picture of this motherfucker and I taped it to my locker at the boxing gym. I was like, I'm going to get you, motherfucker. Guy in my class, this really nice gay guy, sees the picture, and he goes, is that your boyfriend? He's beautiful. I'm like, he's not my boyfriend. He's my girlfriend's boyfriend, and I'm going to beat him off. I mean, up. I'm going to beat him up. Boxing is going fun. We start incorporating sparring into boxing. We're like, practice boxing with a partner, The rule was we weren't allowed to hit each other in the face, only body blows. I'm against this. The biggest guy in the class, he's 6'2". He looks like Thor Ragnarok. (laughs) But I was like, okay, it's just body blows. The biggest guy in the room laughs the hardest. You're like, ha, 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 how'd that go for you, little man? Look at this big motherfucker. Anyway, this huge guy, right? And we're like, we're boxing, and we're only supposed to hit each other in the body. So I punch him in the stomach, right? And he blocks himself right here. So I punch him and the glove slips and hits him in the nuts, right? And he's like, watch it. And I like, do it again. I just jab him in the stomach and he goes, he's like, hey, stop hitting me in the dick. 
And I'm like, all due respect, uh, sir, but I'm not punching you in the dick. I am punching you in the stomach. You are blocking too closely to your body. You're punching yourself in the dick, actually. So we keep on going. I do it again. He blocks right here, slips, hits him in the dick. And he's like, fuck you, man. Sucker punches me in the face. I immediately start to bleed. There is blood all over my shirt. I'm like, fuck this. And I like push him. And I'm like, I'm chasing this guy around the ring. The whole class stops and the coaches go, finally, some fucking boxing in here. And I'm, I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm like intoxicated. Like I'm a fucking gladiator. After the class, the co- uh, one of the trainers, he goes, hey, uh, I can't do the broke very well, uh, but he's like, hey, at the end of the eight weeks, we have a fight night. And so we open up the gym. At night, we have announcers. We have ringsider girls. There's referees. You can invite your friends, and you get to fight somebody. And I'm like, who do I get to fight? And he's like, we'll tell you like the last day of class. And I was like, cool, whatever. In my mind, I have conflated these two things of, like, getting this girl back and becoming, a, like, a championship boxer. <laughs> so I'm like, this is the perfect opportunity for me to invite my girlfriend to come watch me beat some motherfucker up, and in some caveman style, I will win her back. It's tricky thinking, right? <laughs> but I was out of my mind. Love is crazy. And so it's the last day of class. I'm like, all right, who am I fighting? And he's like, the big Thor Ragnarok motherfucker, (laughs) dummy. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. I'm going to invite my girlfriend. She's going to watch me get fucking squashed in front of all of my friends who are comedians who are definitely not going to have bits about this. So I'm this is bad. So I'm like, oh, shit, what do I do? I call my father. My dad is an old Cuban man. He loves boxing. He's a fucking scrapper. He's my Mr. Miyagi. He is Senior Miyagi. He's gonna fucking tell me what to do. I'm like, Papi, tengo una pelea esta noche. Voy a pelear este tipo. ¿Qué hago? What do I do? He's like, Oh, no te preocupes. Así, pam, pam, pam. Así, por la cara, por el cuerpo, por los riñones. Así, coño, pam, 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 pam. You beat the motherfucker up. That's all there is to it, you know? I'm like, Poppy, I call him Poppy because he's my dad, not because he's Pitbull. But I'm like, Poppy. <laughs> Poppy, the guy's six foot two. He's like, oh, man, yeah, you're going to lose, man. You got, you got no chance, motherfucker. I don't know what you're going to do. Do the sign of the cross. Try some santeria. Pour some toucan blood on a chicken nugget. I don't know what you're going to do. But you aren't going to win, motherfucker. And I'm like, He's like, but okay, well, maybe the thing you can do, the only way you're going to beat him is psychologically. You got to get in this motherfucker's head, okay? He's six foot two. You're five foot Dinklage, okay? (laughs) He is more scared to lose to you than you are to lose to him. And I'm like, well, I'm pretty fucking scared to lose to him, so he must be scared. I was like, okay. He's like, go get him. And I was like, all right. So I got, you know, 24 hours to prepare for this fight. I'm like, I have to get psychologically in this guy's head. I decide to buzz my hair. I shave all my head off with a beard trimmer. I look like a fucking fugitive running from the law. I shoplifted at CVS and I was like, I'm a different man now. 
I wear my bloody basketball shorts that I never washed from the day me and this guy scrapped. I have different colored mismatched socks. I pulled them up all the way up. I was the only boxer that did not wear a shirt that day. I looked like a clown. I looked like an out-of-work juggalo, a.k.a. a juggalo. I looked like a fucking juggalo, and I was going to... And I show up early. We're all getting ready. We're stretching and stuff. I pretend I don't know how to jump rope anymore. I'm just like... I'm warming up right... I'm left-handed. I'm warming up right-handed. I'm, like, trying weird stuff. I'm, like, grunting. I'm out of my mind. And, like, the stakes are high for me at this time. And so, fight is about to start, okay? And uh, the announcer comes over, and he's like, how would you like me to introduce you? Just like a comedy show. He's like, what do you want me to say? I was like, call me the Cuban Missile Crisis. <laughs> And the guy was in this corner, Chris, the Cuban Missile Crisis Garcia. <laughs> and I've watched enough fights and know, like, I've watched Rocky. I know Muhammad Ali. I'm just, like, going around the fucking ring. I'm just, like, being as crazy as possible. I'm basically breakdancing. I'm just, like... And then the ding, 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 the fight starts, and the guy, boom, he just clocks me so hard. He, like, gets me with an uppercut in the chin, and I'm like, okay, that's not good. My friends are there. My girlfriend's in the front row. It's, it's like a fucking Rocky movie, right? He hits me. He hits me again, and he's just, the adrenaline is so crazy that I was like, ah! And I just, like, run for the guy, and I just, like, I start, like, trying to hit him like this, and I'm like, hugging him and like trying to throw him it's really crazy and the referee stops the fight and he goes like hey calm down i spit my bloody mouth guard out and i go he's fucking bigger than me and the whole crowd's like ah! and i hear that and i'm like i'm a comedian they're on my side fuck yeah like i am feeling great my coach pulls me over and he's like relax <laughs> You need to relax. And then his Irish brogue, he's like, listen, I paired you up against this guy because you could beat him. You've worked really hard. You have a lot of heart. Also, you're left-handed. He's right-handed. It's even to me. You have a little bit of advantage. He's used to fighting right-handers. He's like, keep your foot on the outside. He comes with a hook and just punches guts. Bust his guts. Not his nuts, his guts, right? We, we break again. He gets me a couple times. My eye is now swollen. It looks like a fucking Beyond Burger and a butthole at the same time. Like, it's in bad shape. And I just see my girlfriend, and I like, it's like time stands still. And I'm like, just picturing her in this DJ. He's pounding her harder than this fucking Thor Ragnarok motherfucker. I'm thinking of my dad being like, you fucking loser, you know? I came to the United States for this motherfucker. Like, I'm getting like some sort of leverage in my mind, you know? And the guy comes in, he comes in with a hook, and I punch him in the stomach. And he blocks it, and he punches himself in the nuts. <laughs> and he's like, ugh! And then he's like, Ooh! looking at the ref and the ref's like you punched yourself in the nuts motherfucker like he didn't do any of this and so I'm like boom 
boom. And they're like, do it again. And he punches himself in the nuts. And then he goes like this. Like, don't punch me in the nuts. And he goes like this. And I just go, boom. And I punch him in the face. I clock his ass. And he's like this. And they stop the fight. And I won. It was insane. I was like, what? Outside of myself, I won. My girlfriend comes over and she's like, oh my God, that was amazing. And she's like touching these new little muscles. They weren't like big muscles. But she's like, that was so, hey, where are these coming from? And I realized she hasn't touched me in two months. So I take her home. I introduce her to the Cuban Missile Crisis. And later that week, I broke up with her. (laughs) Thanks for listening. My name is Chris Garcia. Good night. everyone. So I was at work about a month ago and I was in the office at the Groundling Theater and I teach improv there. And so I'm sitting there and thank you. Uh, so I'm sitting there and I was uh, having to fill out some paperwork and I overheard the girl in the office on the phone talking to a student who was starting class and didn't know who their teacher was and it was going to be me. So I could hear them on speakerphone and so she's trying to describe me. Um, she's, she's short. She has dark hair. It's dark brown hair. She wears T-shirts and jeans a lot. Um, did I say she's short? Um, brown hair, blackish brown hair. And then the student goes, oh, the Asian one. Yes. Yes. And she looked at me and she went, I'm saying sorry. Uh, so I was like, no, you know, every once in a while, more than once in a while, I'm reminded that this is what I look like. I'm an Asian person that I guess doesn't sound like an Asian person. And it's kind of this thing I've kind of gotten used to because every once in a while, like that moment, I'm reminded of it. I'll go to a wedding and someone will come up to me and they'll look at me and go, you speak really good English. Good for you. And so I just go, mm. Uh, but I forget that I look like this, and those of you listening, I'm pointing to my amazingly ravishing Asian face. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. But I realize that I've been feeling, and this has been my whole life, I don't know if you guys feel this way, I feel like I am this little, like, alien being that is driving this yellow robot. Like my eyes, I'm looking through my eyes right now, but I'm like that little person in Men in Black, right? Remember they open up that old man's face and there's that alien going, 
doing that. That's me. Although I'm not dying, but I feel like that. And that I'm just stuck driving this, this cool little Asian robot, you know, uh, because that's what I have. It's kind of like, you know, your first car, but you can never trade it in. That's what I feel like, which is fine. It's just that my life has been to convince people, okay, that's just what I happen to be, right? But I think that a lot of people, including myself when I was growing up, just assumed that I'd come out of the womb and, you know, know how to play the violin really well, just have a natural aptitude toward algebraic equations, and pick up kung fu like that. But it doesn't happen that way. Uh, Honestly, you guys, I can barely play the piano. I still use my fingers to count when I'm balancing my checkbook. All right. And my closest thing to Kung Fu is I love all those movies. All right. So I have the the movie sensibility of an 18-year-old boy. That's me. But I was always trying to fight it. And I've learned how to accept it. It's just that um, lately now, because of now ethnicity is kind of cool, I thought, oh, this yellow robot's really going to help my auditioning. You guys... I'm too big to be a crazy rich Asian, okay? I'm too small to be like a Hawaiian Samoan Asian. And my eyes are too big to play a Japanese Asian. And I'm Japanese. So I'm not even Asian enough technically to play an Asian. (laughs) So what do I do, you guys? It's like, okay, all right. But you know what? I did have an audition, and this was one of my first ones. And I was like, oh, it's, it's, it's a part. She's a Japanese woman. That's me. I'm going to nail this. So I go in, and it's this dramatic movie of the week about the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Yeah. So it's this really dramatic scene, and they set it up, and Karen, you know, the bomb's just gone off, and your face is melting off, and there's all this mayhem. And my lines were literally, water, water. And so the casting person, she stops me. She goes, okay, Karen, thank you so much. I'm going to stop you right there. Um, Let me tell you something about Asian women. They're very internal. They don't get emotional. That's what makes them interesting. Yeah, this is a white woman telling me this. And I was like, oh, my God, you racist bitch. But I didn't do that. I said, thank you. I was very internal. I didn't get emotional. And I guarantee you I walked out in a very uninteresting way. So I went, fuck, maybe she's right. Maybe she's right. Maybe I am just doomed to be this kind of subservient person. I'm going to reinvent myself. But instead, when I got to college, I went, damn, they're torpedoes. I'm going to fight my Asian-ness. I'm going to just, ah, I'm going to wear overalls, which, yeah, that that makes sense. Uh, I'm not going to hang out with Asian people. Fuck that, all right? I'm my own identity. I'm my own identity, right? I'm going to grow pot in my room. Uh, I did. Sorry. (laughs) You know, I'm going to do that. And It just took me a while to get over that. I just fought it. So anyway, I came home at spring break from college. I was going to UC Santa Barbara, and I had a break, and I went to visit, well, I went home to San Diego. That's where um, my folks live. And I was kind of reconnecting with friends. And one of my friends worked at SeaWorld, and he trained dolphins. And he said, you want to come and 
pet the dolphins. I went, oh my God, yes, who wouldn't want to pet a dolphin, right? And so I was uh, running a little late and I got into my car and my car was this like Toyota that didn't have carpeting or radio. My grandmother had one in a raffle. Anyway, uh, and the rear mirror fell off. So anyway, I didn't have one. And so I was in a hurry, but I didn't have any kind of vision in my, my perimeter to see what was behind me. Uh, and I was a hurry. But let me, let me just backtrack a little bit. At the time when I was going home, SeaWorld had a very Asian theme, like the ticket booths looked like pagodas, right? And they, I'm saying that with a scowl, but I don't mean that. Pagodas are wonderful. And, you know, those, those weird, like, statues that look like lions and Buddhas, and they were everywhere, right? Because that was the, the main theme. And they had this attraction where there was a grotto. It looked like a little Japanese grotto. And it had a tank with water, and it had this glass where you could go down and you could look through the tank. And for money, you could pay these women who were dressed like traditional Japanese pearl divers. You know that from like that James Bond movie where he goes, anyway, they wear these white clothes and they, they dive in the water and they would get you a pearl or an oyster and then you'd take it to the booth, they'd open up the oyster and you'd get a little pearl souvenir that was from a Japanese diver. So that was the attraction. So anyway, cut to me being late. So I'm running late and I'm so late and I happen to look in my passenger mirror and there's sirens. And I'm like, fuck, fuck. He's going to see that my rearview mirror's broken. <laughs> oh, my God. So anyway, I pull over, and this big cop, you know the kind they have blonde hair on their arms, but it catches the sun, so their arms are really furry blonde? <laughs> One of those guys. <laughs> you know? And he comes up to my car, and I roll my window down manually, because, again, this is a cheap car. And he peeks in, and he goes, you're going a little fast. Are you in a hurry? And I just nodded, right? And he goes, where are you headed? SeaWorld? Without batting an eye, he goes, you a pearl diver? (laughs) And this is my defining moment. I just went, yes. And then he goes, you like it? Yes. So you can hold your breath for a long time, huh? Oh, yes. Well, you know, I've been to Japan once. Oh, yes. And I was just, my heart was beating in my throat, and he finally went, hey, little lady you know what, I'm going to let you go, all right? But drive safe. Thank you, officer, sir. (laughs) And he walked back to his car, did one of these, flashed little lights, and bowed. (laughs) And I just sat in my car going... Yes! Yes! Fuck! My yellow robot worked! And I went to Disneyland. And I was like, holy crap. Okay, okay, I got this. I got this. And so, you know, I, I kind of after that went, okay, I'm good to go. I'm good. 
I'm good. I'm not going to have a chip on my shoulder. I'm going to accept it, right? I'm going to accept my yellow robot. So if I go into an audition and everyone's a size zero, I'm going to accept that I'm driving a yellow minivan. All right? I may want to upgrade. I may want to put better gas in it. I may want to keep it cleaner, but I'm okay with it because this is what I am. It's what I happen to be, but that's okay. So, you know what, guys? If you come up to me and you start talking to me, just don't ask me what kind of sushi to order, all right? But you can ask me what the over-under is on a Charger Patriots game. (laughs) Thank you so much, you guys. When I finished my shift on Sunday, March 15th, I closed the Brooklyn Inn for the duration of the pandemic. There was a finality to it. After I locked the doors, I found myself on the sidewalk in the wee hours, and it was quiet. Not too long ago, I found myself briefly homeless, nowhere to go, and feeling utterly, utterly alone. And that's how it felt out there on that Monday morning. The Brooklyn Inn has been my home for the last 14 years. It is the most beautiful bar. It's a bar where... During a blizzard, a woman can appear out of nowhere, and you find yourself dancing with her. I take her hand, warm in mine, and we start to dance. And the snow is falling outside the giant windows. The sparkles in her eyes and her smile melts my heart. The Brooklyn Inn is a cathedral of bars. And only half-jokingly, I call myself the Monsignor of the Cathedral of Bars. And now I find myself missing my flock, missing my people. When I was in high school, I had to take one of those aptitude tests that tells you what career you should follow and I scored clergy or shrink and here I am clergy and a shrink without a place to practice either of those skills I also found myself in a position with no income and I was scared and I remain Scared. I don't want to be homeless again. I don't want to lose my apartment. I don't want my light shut off. I. The first thing that occurred to me was to keep my phone on. So I called AT&T that Monday morning. And I got through surprisingly quickly and only in about uh, 10 minutes. And a woman picked up. Thank you for calling AT&T. This is Kayla. How may I help you? Uh... Hi, Kayla. This is Kevin. I'm a bartender in New York City. She says, let me stop you right there. 
She says, you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. They won't shut your phone off. You're okay. And I started sobbing. I just was ugly crying, like tears and snot and the whole nine yards. And dear, sweet Kayla, wherever you are, you were kind enough to listen. And since then, I have encountered incredible kindnesses. Recently, I got a text from one of my dear regulars. Kevin, he writes, times are tough, but I at least will be saving a lot of money in the coming weeks, etc. As no bars or restaurants and no travel. He says, if it helps, I'd like to send you a certain amount of money a month until things get back to some semblance of normal. If you're okay with this, shoot me your address and I'll send you a check tomorrow. Well, no, I'm not okay with this, but I'm the one who's supposed to be taking care of others. But I said, yes, thank you. I'm extremely grateful. So that's something. And then another friend, a creative partner, a man I've done a lot of work with over the years. He texted me. He says, so uh, Brooklyn Inn is closed for the duration. He says, I saw the, the GoFundMe site you guys have going. That's for the entire organization, right? I said, yeah, all three bars. I think that's a total of 10 of us out of work. He says, so I I'd like to contribute only... Would you be comfortable with me contributing directly to you? I said, oh, Morris, the time of comfort is past. I said, I'd be utterly grateful and humbled. And he says, I'm glad you gave your consent. It's not much, but I, I just want to give you something. And I wrote him, Ah, uh, it's all about perspective. What may seem small to you is enormous to me, and it was enormous to me. I get these notifications that uh, area restaurants are trying to do things to take care of uh, out-of-work service industry people. And I got one today and tried to log on to their website and I couldn't but a friend insisted that I go over that there may be cancellations and I did and I walked in and the gentleman I spoke to I explained the situation to him and he said no no, no it's okay there have been cancellations let me just get your, your name and so I, I gave him my name and he looked at me he said how you doing I said scared <laughs> and I started crying and then he started crying <laughs> and then he handed me a bag of groceries <laughs> and I made it home I had to stop on the way just because I couldn't stop sobbing and in addition to the bountiful groceries, there were two rows of toilet paper in there. 
here's the thing. With all this darkness, with all of this fear and scariness going on, there is so much light as well. I mean, I feel like George Bailey on Christmas Eve. This, this is who we are. Now, more than ever, kindness is important. Kindness is what is going to get us through. This is Risk. This is Lindsey Buckingham behind me now. And we just heard from Kevin Bowl. Now, Kevin shared a story called Snow Globe on the podcast about, I think, two years ago, around about Christmas time. And it's a classic. Uh, you know, his description in that story, Snow Globe, of the bar, the Brooklyn Inn, was so vivid and beautiful and detailed that I walked into that bar for the first time one night with JC by my side, JC, the business director of Risk, and I said to her, oh my gosh, this is the bar that was described in that story. He had not mentioned the name of the bar in the story. I recognized it purely by his description in Snow Globe. So this was an interesting revisiting of a situation going on with Kevin and the Brooklyn Inn. We do hope he hangs in there, and we hope that the Brooklyn Inn is open again one day. 
I, I will say that, you know, Kevin was responding to the way that we've been calling out for you guys to send in your anecdotes, your shorter stories about incidents you've lived through very recently during the whole quarantine situation, altercations you might have gotten into or beautiful things you might have witnessed out on the street or situations that arose in your family, whatever it might be, if you have short stories about Things that have happened to you in the past few weeks, send those to us at Kevin at risk show.com. And I, I can answer any questions if you have questions about how to do those. If you go to the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group on Facebook, there's actually a video there where I go into good detail about how to do these. And if you have trouble finding that, just email me at Kevin at risk show.com and I'll send you a link. Before Kevin, we heard Karen Maruyama. I wanted to put that story on not just because it's such a great story, but because part of our mission at risk is to help people have more empathy for the other, whoever the other is for you. Whoever you look at and think is different from you or maybe you have a hard time relating to that kind of person because of their background or their race or their sexuality or their uh, uh, financial situation, whatever it might be, we are always seeking to create empathy here. You know, a lot of people are expressing criticism or doubt or worry about the Chinese government right now and how they might have handled the nitty gritty of this or that policy. Well, that's as may be, but to take out whatever frustrations might arise from that on Asian people in general is not okay. It's the opposite of that sort of empathy that we're seeking to engender here at risk. And before Karen, a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, let's get back to the stories. Can you believe how awesome these Patreon bonus stories are in this episode? Like, if you are not a patron, you're finding out during this episode what you're missing out on. Uh, because these are amazing stories. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the big dick bitch herself, T.S. Madison. She got up on stage with me at this show we did in Atlanta. It was an insane show, a ridiculous venue. And, and, and the two of us are bantering with each other on stage. Nothing quite like that. But before that, we're going to hear from Joe Matarese. Now, this story is about one of those subjects we often encourage risk storytellers to talk about, which is think of a time that you're not proud of. Think of a time that you might have made a mistake or that you were in over your head and made a mess. Those are often the riskiest kinds of stories to tell, almost confessional, really. And Joe really kind of knocked it out of the park with this one. This was years ago uh, that Joe told this one. The show was still at the People's Improv Theater in New York City. So here's Joe now with a story we call The Other Man. No little children. What's up? All right. It's <laughs> the way it's going to be. All right. How you doing? You guys are like, just tell your story. Tell your scary story. I come from the stand-up world, so I have to do this. I have to, I, <laughs> I have to look at you guys. And uh, so basically, uh, Kevin called me after he did my podcast, said, do you want to do my podcast? Uh, the theme of the storytelling that night is eek, which, you know, I went to community college. I had to, like, look that up. I actually had to Google eek, and it comes up, uh, you know, like uh, a mouse or... <laughs> or uh, what else came up? Uh, paranormal. And I was like, wow, like, I don't have any of that to talk about. Like, I, that stuff doesn't even scare me. I got to be honest. I don't believe in ghosts. I could care less. I, I would pick up a dead mouse and I would eat it. I probably would eat it. Like, I'm not afraid of stuff like that. Bugs don't scare me. But real life things really scare me. So I'm going to tell you a story that I've never really told anybody before. It's something I've kind of kept secret, and it really happened to me. Uh, when I was 19 years old, <laughs> I grew up in South Jersey, 
And uh, let me paint the picture a little bit. I don't know if what I look like now is not what I look like at 19 years old in South Jersey, okay? I got to be honest. It was it was a bad time for me. I wore uh, Cavaricci jeans. I don't know if you guys can relate with the, with the belt that kind of went up and kind of had a long point, kind of hung down there like a penis. It was a nice look. Uh, I had a mullet. I definitely probably had a pinky ring at this time. I drove a 280ZX with T-tops, and I had a disco ball hanging from the rearview mirror. Because I was cool. I was cool, and uh, I guess I liked disco. I don't know. But I had that disco ball, and it was a time where... I had three other real Guido Italian guy friends, you know, and we would go to clubs four nights a week. And I still remember this. Monday night was always Franchines. Franchines was on the racetrack circle. A lot of restaurants near Franchines burnt down in the 80s, coincidentally, when their business got slower. You've seen the mafia movies. They burn them down when they do slower. This was what it was. There was all these restaurants across from the racetrack. Franchines on a Monday. Tuesday, right down the road from there, was walk and roll. It was an, a Chinese restaurant dance club. I swear to God. It was called walk and roll. Wednesday was enchante. But the Guidos would call it enchantes. I don't know if you've ever been around really Italian guys. They make everything plural. They're like, dude, we're going to enchantes. We're going to go to enchantes. You're going to enchantes. Yeah, we're going to enchantes. All right, I'll meet you there. I'll meet you at enchantes. <laughs> it was just all like Corvettes in the front like and Trans Ams. Like, this, this was a time where <laughs> so, such assholes these guidos were. Like, they would park their shitty Trans Am sideways. You ever seen those? Don't dig my door. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Thursday night, we would go into South Philly. We would go to this place called PT's. That was like, it was a little classier. You had to dress up. I remember I wore a V-neck sweater to PT's, and they wouldn't let me in. They're like, sorry, man. No V-neck sweaters. Classy joint. <laughs> But I really wanted to get in, so I left and I turned my sweater around and put my jacket over it, and it, it was nice. It looked like a nice, classy sweater now with the V in the back, but I could not take my jacket off the whole night. Probably a detail I didn't need to put in the story, but what the hell. <laughs> so there was a girl that I started seeing that worked the door at Franchine's on Monday. Now, this girl was was stunning to all of us back then like we used a word called she's a goddess that's what we said back then we like, oh my god she's here she's working tonight who the goddess and she was like so cheesy looking like full tan in the middle of the winter she had hair like teased up about six foot high she was about five ten so next to me she was like six eight right she was just big I thought she was gorgeous. And somehow, I got her to start dating me. So we're dating. It's going well. And she's the girl, I don't know if you can remember when you were younger, we would go to all these clubs. And if you saw someone you were having sex with, it was already, it was like awesome. 
because you didn't have to try to pick somebody up. You're like, holy shit, I already fucked her. This is incredible. I'm getting laid. And we would just leave. We would go into the parking lot. We would have sex. And then we would come back in and, and <laughs> after having sex and we would dance, you know? That's how long ago it was. We would dance, you know? <laughs> and I can remember the songs. I don't know if you guys will remember. There's some people here a little older. Maybe you'll remember it. But, uh, it was the song Running by the Information Society. I don't know if you remember this one. Boom, 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 boom. You'd be like, oh shit, running, and people would just get out there. You know? I had, this is kind of how I moved. That was my dance. That was it, right? Boom, boom, like, followed by Fascinated was a big song by Company B. I don't know if anybody remembers that one. So I'm dancing with her. We're having a good time, and we keep seeing each other. Having sex with her a lot, thinking this is awesome. She's 28 years old. I'm 19. Now, it's weird because now I'm 45. 28 is like a baby to me. But when I was 19, a 28-year-old was like I was dating this old lady. That's what it felt like. Holy shit, I'm dating this old person. And she invited me back to her house that she owned. I was like, oh, my God, this girl has a house. I live with my parents. So I go over there, and there's these pictures of her with a guy and, and kids. And I'm like, who are they? She's like, that's my husband. What? Yeah, that's my husband, and those are my kids. I'm like, oh, my God. You're married? She's like, oh, it's not going well. <laughs> We're probably going to split up. We're probably most definitely going to split up. And when, once again, I was 19, I was so horny, I was getting laid by the goddess from Franchines. That's all I needed to hear, and I kept dating her. I was like, I'm in. So I keep dating her, I keep dating her. I'm home, I'm at my parents' house, and the doorbell rings. About 10 minutes goes by, and my mom comes into the kitchen. She's like, Joe, there's a guy on the front porch. Says he wants to talk to you about your DJ business. Now, once again, it's part of being from Jersey and Italian and 19. At some point, if you're from Jersey and you're Italian, you have to be a DJ. So, my DJ business was called In the Groove Entertainment. That's pretty. I had a card, In the Groove, baby. In the Groove, it was classic. So I'm like, really? There's a guy on the front porch who wants to talk to me about my DJ business? Cool. I go outside, and as soon as I look at him, I know it's the guy that she's married to. I recognize him from the pictures, and my heart just drops. And he's not big, but he's like 28. So he's scary as shit to me. Like, he's like a little scary Italian man wearing a matching sweatsuit. Now, if you watch Sopranos, you know, don't fuck with the guy with the matching sweatsuit on. <laughs> So I sit down, he goes, you know who I am? I'm like, yes. I'm like shitting myself. Are you fucking my wife? I guess my instincts just kicked in and I just went right to lie. No. What are you talking about? He goes, you're fucking my wife. I'm like, no. What are you talking I'm friends with your wife. We're friends. He goes, I've had a private investigator following you I'm like I know you did I don't know why I said that <laughs> I 
He goes, I got pictures of you slow dancing with my wife. Once again, that shows you the time it was. That was when people slow danced at a club. Did they... (laughs) That, this is so long ago that the DJ would be like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to slow it down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Atlantic Star. <laughs> oh, man, those were the days. But I said, listen, I know you got pictures of me slow dancing with her. She was crying on my shoulder. She was talking to me about you. We are just friends. Nothing is happening here. I promise you that. I swear to God, nothing is happening here. He goes, okay. But if you do this again, you show up with her again, I find out you're near my wife. You're fucking dead, all right? I know people. That's what he says. I know people, and you're dead. And he leaves. I'm 19, I keep fucking her. I don't know, it must have turned me on a little bit. Once again, I'm gonna connect it to Goodfellas. You remember in Goodfellas when Ray Liotta, Henry Hill shows up with the bloody gun handle and he hands it to Karen and she looks at it and goes, a lot of girls would have ran away. I gotta admit, I was turned on. Somehow, I thought it was really exciting. Now the relationship got even better. Now not only are we fucking in cars, we are like looking over our shoulders, we're going in weird parking lots, we're going behind Vito's Pizza. I remember Vito's Pizza, I don't know why. It's a pizza place in South Jersey. We'd go behind there, we would go in abandoned malls, sewage plants, anywhere that was dark where we thought no one would see us and we would have sex in a car. Little time goes by. I'm home with my parents. My parents are away for the weekend. My phone rings. It's her. She's like, oh my God, he's, he's following me. I know he's following me. I'm like, whoa, 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 calm down. What are you talking about? He's following me. I know it. I don't know what to do, Joe. He's following me. I'm like, look, it's going to be fine. Just don't come here. Don't come here. <laughs> Click. Five minutes later, knock on my side door. Frantic knock, open the door, it's her. She's like, I don't know what's happening. He's fucking following me. I know he's following me. Son of a bitch, I don't know what to do. I'm really scared, Joe. He's crazy, he's crazy. And I just slam the door and kick her outside. I, 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 I don't want this. As soon as I push her out of the house, I hear on the front door of my house now. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I walk over to the front door. We have little curtains. I open them. He's like, you're fucking dead. You're fucking dead. Bam, 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 bam. He's smashing the door. I'm like, what the hell's happening? What am I doing? I run upstairs. I call the cops. I'm on the phone with the cops. I'm like, you got to get here quick. There's a crazy guy trying to break in the front door of my house. I don't know what the heck's going on. Mr. Matarese, it's going to be fine. Look out your window. You can go outside now. I'm like, did you just hear me? I said, I... Got a guy trying to smash my front door down, and he's right out front. I'm not going outside. They're like, Mr. Matarese, look out your window. I look out my window. Within 30 seconds, there's already four cop cars there. I go outside. He's like being held by two cops. The two kids are on the front lawn. And he's going, you better get a fucking army, pal. You are dead. You are dead. And she's crying. (laughs) 
I love you. I love you. I'm like, what the hell is going? What happened to my life? I don't know where she went to. I love you. We were like, we had sex in cars. It meant something to her, I guess. I, I did not love her. That's all I thought was, oh my god, this girl loves me. I don't know what to do. And the cops are in my face. Joe, do you, Mr. Matarese, do you want to press charges? Would you like to press charges on this gentleman? I'm like, no, no, no charges. I don't want to press charges. She's yelling, I love you. I shut the door. I go inside. I'm in tears in my kitchen. I'm like, you gotta be, what the fuck am I doing? 20 minutes goes by. My phone rings. It's him. He's like, you better get a fucking army, buddy. You're dead. Click. I star 69'd him. Remember star 69? That shit was awesome, right? I star 69 him. He's like, hello? I'm like, listen, this is Joe. I know this looks bad again. I know it looks bad. I promised you I wouldn't do anything. We are just friends. Nothing is happening. This is just a friendly relationship. She talks to me about you. He's like, all right. I'm going to let you go. But if you come near her ever again, you're fucking dead. I'm telling you, buddy. I know people. Click. I'm done with her now. She starts having sex with my best friend a week later. All I can say is, is that story happened 27 years ago. I'm a married man with two kids now. And I just want to say, if anybody out there has ever been in a relationship or you're ever going to go in a relationship with someone who's married, don't. Okay? <laughs> it was the biggest mistake I ever made in my life, and I regret it to this day. Good night, everybody. ago I was planning to go to London to go teach at a conference and then I saw one country after another is issuing travel bans are there urging their citizens not to go anywhere urging their citizens to come back home I was excited about this conference I wanted to know what if I still go and then I heard somewhere that if I go somewhere and come back, I'm subject to 14 days of self-quarantine. So I wanted to verify that. Is that true? And what is self-quarantine? Will somebody say, hey, go quarantine yourself. And then I cross my fingers behind my back and say, yeah, I'm going to self-quarantine. And then I go straight to a casino or a movie. Are there more restrictions around self-quarantine? So I went online and I did a Google search and I see Trump blindsides European allies. Trump's plan won't work. Trump's creating chaos. Trump, Trump, Trump. And I've said, I get it. Stop. I get it. I go second page, third page, fourth page. Trump, Trump, Trump. Politics, politics. I want to find out about the self-quarantine, damn it. Then I find out that yes, self-quarantine is serious. 
it can involve surprise phone calls, surprise visits, fines, and jail time. So it's not something to play with. Obviously, the conference has been canceled. But it's left me in this distressed place where the news media has not been the easiest place to get good, reliable, easily accessible information. I got to dig it out of some political motivation. So I'm limiting my diet of news and learning which sites that I can go to to get just straight information. And I've got a long list of things that I keep putting off like organize the files on my computer and put my luggage away. gentlemen you know the ts nowadays stands for tropical storm in my life but there was a time that it meant transsexual madison meaning that i am a chick with a dick okay you are the big dick bitch oh that is that is true i am a chick with a rather large dick (laughs) that has sold it from coast to coast but i'm no longer in that lifestyle because i have been delivered to tell jokes around the world yes yeah. How long had you been uh, doing that sort of work when you had this incident in Chicago? Oh, bitch, I'm 40 years old, honey. I was doing this for a very long, long time. You don't get boobs like these for free. <laughs> <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, my mother is in the house, and she knows everything, so I'm going to tell a very dirty, 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 lewd and lascivious story that I told her before I told anybody else. Hi, Mommy. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie brought her mom. Now, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, usually in the life of a transgender woman, of, a, of, of me, I, I can't speak for all, I'm going to talk about me, um, I was introduced to the sex work industry, which I'm not proud of, but while I was in the sex worker industry, I learned many things along the way. And not that I learned many things along the way, I took every piece of situation that has happened in my life and I have been able to laugh at all the bad shit. Mm. And I started a YouTube channel and I started telling my stories on there. I got really famous and popular. Now I work for Fox. (laughs) You know, I I caught the eyes of RuPaul and, you know, it's so many amazing, magnificent things that have happened in my life and I wouldn't trade any of those dark times for nothing, because I wouldn't be standing here getting ready to tell you this fucked up story, which turned out to be fun. Well, you also had some fun, right? Like with, in some of these, with some of these clients. Well, this definitely was a fun time. <laughs> so, what, what was a typical? Like, what were like? What are a couple, a few examples of typical clients that you would see? Well, back then, in those times, you know, I'm a black girl, and you know, usually when we black trans girls that are in the uh, sex entertainment business well professional hookers when we're those things you know usually what's required of us because you know a lot of the men that come see us the clientele with us they like to fuck us (laughs) 
Like they do any old woman, okay? Well, they like to fuck you or they like you to well, fuck them? Well, it depends on what mood they're in for the day. You know, this is a taboo situation, and so it all depends on if, if they're feeling happy or if they're feeling really happy, you know? <laughs> and a lot of these guys are not, are living as straight guys in the. In well, their... I wouldn't date a man that's not straight. Are you kidding me? I'm a woman. <laughs> Kevin. <laughs> and and do, are some of them shy about the way that they would approach you? Or, or well, were you shy in the back when you unzipped my dress? <laughs> I think I broke her dress. And it's still broken in the back back here. <laughs> I said, Kevin, you definitely are a gay man because you would have known how to pull a zipper down on a woman's dress, darling. But Kevin, let me tell you, right? I want to say this. So I was in Chicago. Chicago, it was my very first time visiting Chicago, you know, and now I'm glad that I'm out of that lifestyle because when I'm visiting the cities and I'm going now, I'm going to, to make people laugh and have fun with people and I'm able to tell stories or whatever and I'm able to get to see the city because before I was it just, you know, on the mattress and I'm like, girl. So this time in particular is my very first time in Chi-Town, honey, the Windy City. And boy, did I get blowed. Ooh-wee. <laughs> So Was that I, the biggest town you'd ever worked in? It's a big town. Oh, Kevin, I have more stories to tell. You just keep me on the tour train because <laughs> that's not the biggest city that I've worked in. <laughs> but listen, so when I got to Chicago, uh, I, had, I, never, I had never been there or whatever, and some, one of my sisters told me, hey, well, why don't you stay downtown on uh, North Michigan Avenue? So I was like, okay. I stayed at the Hard Rock Cafe Hotel. So I'm at the Hard Rock. I'm getting phone calls all day, all day. Black guys calling me, white guys calling me, Spanish guys calling me. I'm like, yeah, it's $300, $500. You know, I had a different price for whatever they had, whatever fetish or fantasy that they had, you know, Mm -hmm. I had a different price. So I got a call, and it was from a gentleman. I couldn't distinguish whatever the voice was, you know, but he wanted sex. So I was like, okay, well, I've had sex all day. Um, Let me... Just have sex some more. So, you know, I was like, well, bring me $300. You know, that was, you know, just for an hour at that time, you know, but that was a while back. It's, if you're trying to clientele me now, it's a little bit more than that, but <laughs> I don't do that. But so I had been seeing gentlemen all that day, you know, and they were, it was, it was a lot of black guys coming to see me. And, you know, when you're dealing with black guys and you have lots of ass and titties, they want to fuck. <laughs> so, you know, so this guy in particular, he called me and I said, okay, well, come, you know, let's, okay, come on, whatever, whatever. It's a very dangerous job. Nobody in here gets involved in that, okay? I'm not glorifying it. I'm just telling y'all my story. So I'm not, just don't get involved in that. Unless you got student loans you got to pay. Anyway, so. <laughs> so Kevin, you know, the guy gets to the door and uh, I, I, oh, I look at the people and I'm like, damn, this don't sound like the man that was on the telephone. So I let him in. When I let him in, he was very nice, but he didn't speak English. Now, some of you who follow me, you may have already heard this story. It's my Turkish delight story. He was from Turkey. I found that out really fast, okay? (laughs) So he got in the room, and when he got in the room, he was like, you know, and, and, and I don't give a fuck what language you speak. You know the universal term for fuck is (laughs) <laughs> and so being that the universal term for fuck is that the universal term for a bitch that gets money is run me that 
run me, motherfucking that. Let me get that. So he, he went on, he, he laid the money on the counter or whatever. I commenced to go over, walk him over to the bed. And when I walked him over to the bed, I undressed myself and he undressed himself. And when he pulled his pants all the way down and off, he had the biggest white fucking dick I had ever seen in my life. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I wasn't really worried about it because, you know, he's a white guy. And usually the white guys that came to see me, they want to get fucked. But it was something about that morning, the spirit got in my ear and told me, Madison, make sure that you dish twice, okay, bitch? Two times. And I was like, I ain't worried about this shit because I ain't getting fucked no more today. I ain't thinking about this shit. But I did go in there and dish twice. Uh-huh. And I'm so glad that I did, okay? When those pants came down and I saw that big old white uncircumcised dick about the size of a can of fucking hairspray this big, I was standing there looking at his ass like, okay, well baby, you go ahead on and lay on the bed, you know, cause we both packing something, so you lay on the bed, I ain't worried about this. And he was like, no, 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 me. I said, no, me. He said, no, me. I was like, no, baby, me. He said, me, and pointed at the money on the table. I said, fuck. I got to get me a new goddamn job. Anyway, Kevin, so I lays down on the bed. I lays down on the bed or whatever. You know, I reach over in my bag. I pull out my condoms and, you know, I put the condom on the dick. I can, there's no kids in here, right? Everybody grown? Okay. Everybody here know how to suck dick, right? Or how knows how to get their dick sucked, am I correct? Okay, good. It was... Mm, 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 mm. So it seemed like the dick got bigger than it was supposed to be. I was like, this dick can't get no bigger than this. So here he is with the dick long as fuck like this. I'm standing there looking, well, laying there looking at the hard dick. I reach over, get my lube, lube the thing up or whatever. And I said, you know what? I'm going to handle this just like I handle any hard fucking job. I'm going to close my eyes and this shit is going to be over because this man is white and this pussy is so fucking good. This bitch is going to come in a second. The devil was a liar, okay? <laughs> let me tell you something. I laid my fat ass on that bed and let that man climb on top of me. That man was fucking the shit out of me. Boom, bam, boom, boom, boom. I had my eyes closed because, you know, I was like, okay, if I keep them closed, it's going to be over. And as he was hitting it from the back, just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, my eyes closed in a different way. They were closed in a way of not wanting it to be over, but to be like, oh, shit. God damn. And he was tearing that ass up from the back. And I opened my eyes because I was like, I'm not supposed to be in ecstasy like this. I ain't supposed to be like this. This is a fucking client. I ain't supposed to be doing this. So when I opened my eyes or whatever, I looked back at him. I say, baby, you got to be fucking me like that. I ain't do nothing to you to be beating my pussy up like that. He said, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm all right. Just go ahead on and finish. Just go ahead on. Boom, bam, boom, boom, boom. That motherfucker rolled my fat ass over and threw them legs behind my ear. Boom. Boom. I was like, bitch, in my mind, like, I love this fucking man. I love him. <laughs> Baby. So, you know, after he was tearing me up really good, really good, he finally, after 47 minutes, 
Now, if anybody has ever been in here fucked in their ass in this room, you know you ain't supposed to be getting fucked in your ass for no goddamn 47 minutes. (laughs) I started questioning myself, like, damn, is the ass still tight? God damn. So he went on and he bust his nut after 47 minutes. And please believe I knew it was 47 minutes because, God damn it, I was watching the clock when he fucking walked in the building. So, baby, after that shit, I, I got up, I took a towel, I was wiping it off, he pulled the condom off, and condom was full, it was like a whole milk truck in the condom, you know? <laughs> we walked in the bathroom, you know, I don't trust no man, I don't give a fuck if he white, black, Spanish, Asian, I'm walking his ass to the bathroom like this, walking him, yeah, baby, that was good, both our dicks is swinging around in the bitch, my titties swinging around, he's like, yeah, baby, yeah. He throws the condom in the toilet and flushes the condom down the toilet or whatever. I'm sitting on the toilet making sure that there's some type of elasticity left in my ass, making the bitch breathe in and out like this over the toilet, you know, and hoping that I don't poop. But being that I douched those two times before he got there, I was assured that I was okay, okay? So... After we, I'm sitting there, whatever, he's wiping himself off or whatever, you know, I commence to getting ready to pull my panties and bra and all that shit back up and walk him to the door. He says, no, baby, no. I pay one hour. Oh. I say, bitch, I got to go fucking 13 more minutes. <laughs> 13 more minutes, God damn. <laughs> God motherfucker took me back in that room, put on another rubber, and fucked my ass the fuck up. <laughs> Laid me down on the bed, was tearing me up so good, my wig flew on the other side of the room, bitch. Boom. That ain't stopped that motherfucker. He was still dick. Boom, 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 boom. Let me tell y'all something. That was one day that I said, bitch, I'm going to flip me a burger at McDonald's. I can't do this fucking shit no more. And to be honest with you, I have found a new love for white men and uh, men from Turkey and Istanbul (laughs) and all those places. Listen, I don't even eat Turkish delights the same way, bitch. Every time I see a box of Turkish delights, I'll be saying, give me that, give me that box, give me that box over there. Because I know it's chalk full of nuts. (laughs) 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 Ladies and gentlemen, I am T.S. Madison, bitch. And I thank you guys for letting me tell you my fucking story and laughing at that stuff. And Kevin, thank you so much for having me. I love it, love it, love it, hug me. And I love you, Atlanta. Give me some sugar.
that is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Donna Summer behind me now. I fucking loved this song when I was nine years old in 1979, and it came out. We had the record at home. Wait, I should say my older sister had the record, and my older sister had the record secretly because my mom wouldn't approve of a song like this being played in the house. And, and so I would secretly steal, you know, borrow my sister's record and bring it downstairs and lock the door and listen. <laughs> I was just as big of a fan of the village people at that time. I was obsessively singing Macho Man all over the place. But fortunately, my mom didn't understand the double entendres, or if that's even what you could call them in the village people's music. So that we could have playing regularly in the house. Now, before T.S. Madison, we heard another one of those little anecdotes. This one came from Oz Du Soleil, who has been on the show before. You know, we thought we should run that one as soon as possible because that one is actually about when the quarantining was just starting to happen, which already feels like a million years ago. So, you know, keep them coming because our experiences around this extraordinary time are bound to keep evolving. And I think it's very helpful for all of us to check in with each other that way. That's why the Risk live streamed show that we did last Thursday was so powerful. I, I felt like there were maybe maybe altogether somewhere near 600 people gathered watching that show and it felt like a very communal connecting experience and i think that that's that's what this show is all about so let's keep it going keep sending us your little covid-19 quarantine stories now, the next Risk Live show that was supposed to happen would have been the next Los Angeles show. So we're going to see if we can do the exact same thing that we did with the New York show last week. We're going to see if we can take that Los Angeles cast and put them up on a live stream. So stay tuned. Always be checking at Risk Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, on Facebook, we have a very lively conversation that's always happening at the Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group. Also have a subreddit called Risk Podcast. I want to give one more shout out to a new Patreon patron of ours, and that is Ben Cundiff. Holy cow, he has been super, super generous with us. And you can be too if you go to patreon.com slash risk. You will be able to hear all these sorts of stories that you heard on this podcast. The T.S. Madison and the Joan Matteris and the, the Chris Garcia and the Karen Marayama. All those stories were originally bonus stories on Patreon. We put up a new bonus story once a week. Plus, check-ins, interviews with the staff, all kinds of stuff going on over there at patreon.com slash risk. 
Also, do you know about our online workshops? If you go to thestorystudio.org, now is a fabulous time to take a class and see other students online taking the class with you, get feedback from a whole bunch of other people who are also working on stories. You can find more information about that at thestorystudio.org. And I'm telling you, I was so moved by these two sessions that I did. I do one-on-one training with people via my website. You can go to kevinallison.com, and it'll give you information about how you could set up a half-hour or hour-long session with me. Could be you want to work on a story. Could be you want to work on a business presentation. But in some cases, people just want someone to talk to. I spoke to someone this past weekend who was going through a lot as far as their sexual journey, as far as their um, evolution with kinky stuff in their life and wanted someone to just like chat with in a mentoring sort of way. It was really powerful. So there's lots of options for how you could meet with me if you go to kevinallison.com. And in the meantime, stay safe, stay inside, wash your hands, stay as connected as you possibly can to all your loved ones. See what you can be doing for the more vulnerable out there. Look up hashtag mutual aid find out what mutual aid opportunities there are in your town and folks today's the day take a risk What is self-quarantine? Fuck my fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. Jesus fucking Christ.